Sounds fantastic. What's this fantastic sound then? <laughs> That's a kookaburra in a Hillman minx colliding with a set of tubular bells. So what about this sound? Well, talking of cheaper car insurance, that's the sound telling millions of county drivers where to look. It's where you go to insure your motor. Nothing quite compares to go compare. Sounds fantastic. It's Saturday, the 11th of June, 2016. Happy birthday to Chuck Hayes. show brought to you by fan tracks and i forgot to to put today's person in oh i apologize for that i uh, i'll get tomorrow's i'll get today's person i'll get a double banger of sponsors for tomorrow's podcast just a a uh, an oddly rushed preparation to the show if this is the first podcast you're listening to don't turn off straight away because it's not normally like this my name is josh lloyd and if you want to find me on twitter and interact with this show as it's going live to air on youtube you can do that by uh, tweeting at me at redrock underscore b-ball you can also of course tweet at me at any stage we're here today to do the boston celtics season in review podcast so my god my way today is it let's try again so let's get to it to it there we go that's better um rocky start that we're going to be smooth sailing from here on out on this podcast um we're recording this after game four of the nba finals and the uh the warriors got that 3-1 victory or got the 3-1 lead now over the cleveland cavaliers and it feels like it's a, a fait accompli that they are uh, they wrap up the finals potentially in game five back in golden state and uh i was speaking to a couple of mates today about the finals and i wouldn't be surprised if in game three when the warriors you know, started to get down that they just conserved energy they uh gave up they um let's just say i think they want to win it at home i think that was not saying that they went into the game and said we don't want to we don't want to win this game but i think that once they saw things start to be like and the Cavs started off on fire they went okay let's not uh let's not bust our hump here we're pretty confident we'll get the next one and let's try and win it at home i could be completely wrong but there's uh that thought just crept into my head i'm pretty sure they don't want to uh Hey, they wouldn't want to win a championship whatever way they can, but if they had a preference, if they had an option, I'm sure they prefer to do it at home versus doing it on the road where they did it last season. That might be the dumbest thing I've ever said, but it was just a thought that did enter my head. We are talking Boston Celtics today, and this is a team that finished with an equal third record like all the other teams that I've been talking about and like the team I'm going to be talking about in the next couple of shows, the Miami Heat, the Hornets, the Hawks, all finished on 48 and 34 for the season. The Celtics suffered that first-round loss in seven games to the Atlanta Hawks. They suffered their fair share of injuries throughout that series, and that uh, that definitely, um, I'm not saying it necessarily cost them the series, but it cost them a chance at having a, of having a chance to win it. That's probably the best way of saying it. Now, they come into this um, offseason armed with an armada of draft picks, which there's no way they'll be able to keep all of these players. They have eight draft choices. They have five draft picks within the top 35, and that is extraordinarily valuable. They have pick three. They have pick 16. They have pick 23. They have pick 31. They have pick 35. And then they've got 45, 51, and 58. So there's a couple of things that they can do with all these picks. Trades is the most common thought process, and you know, bunching up 
um, picks to acquire higher draft choices or to acquire players is always a possibility. Um, drafting European players with the idea of, of stashing them for a season or two is another option with those. You know, So there's last four picks. They could go Euro with three of those last four picks and, and not have to bring... Yeah, four guys over. They've got three guys at the moment who are going to have guaranteed contracts in that first round situation. So they might be looking to to bunch up a couple of those to bundle them up into a deal and, and move up. They've got that obviously that number three pick courtesy of the Brooklyn Nets. So for a team that finished with the third seed in the East, having the third pick in the draft is somewhat of a luxury, not something that happens all that often. So they've got they're in prime position to um, to really bolster their stocks and bolster their roster by bringing in. You know, allegedly the third best youngster in this draft, albeit a weaker draft, but I still think you can get some, I know you can get some pretty talented players there at pick three. This podcast isn't designed to go into who they're going to pick at pick three. They've got their choice of anyone by Ingram and Simmons, it appears. Um, I really like Bender there, but they could go in a number of different directions. I don't really love them going Marquise Chris. But we'll talk all about this as we get into... And that's a good chance to remind you, about a week from now, we're going to be doing the Mega Mock Draft podcast with myself and about eight or nine other blokes jumping onto a a podcast, a live video stream, having a couple of teams each and making draft picks and then offering some commentary on those draft picks as we go through the entire first round of the NBA draft. So make sure you're checking out that. It'll be recorded on on Saturday night, US time. You'll probably listen this Saturday morning, US time, not this Saturday night in seven days' time, um, Sunday morning Australian time, and obviously the podcast will be there to download in that week leading up to the draft. Back to the Boston Celtics. They do have some interesting free agent decisions to make. Um, A couple of restricted free agent big men they've got to make decisions on. Jared Salinger, who was really good all season up until about the All-Star break and then tailed off and then was an absolute nightmare in the playoffs and and was replaced in the starting lineup by uh, Jonas Jurepko. And Tyler Zeller, a player that is also a restricted free agent that people have uh, or had really high hopes on. Uh, I never saw it. I, I didn't believe in Tyler Zeller. I thought that he was uh, thieving minutes off Salinger and Kelly Olynyk all of last season. Turns out he did not play much at all this season, and it would p- appear unlikely that he's going to get a big offer, and if he if he does, there is almost zero chance that the Celtics match that. In terms of unrestricted guys, there's only Evan Turner. Now, he had a breakout year. He has only played $3.5 million, and I say only like that's, a, you know, that's like nothing. It, it'd be great for all of us, but for NBA players, it's nothing. What do they do with Turner? It remains to be seen. We know what his limitations are. We know what his positives are. You know, good mid-range shooter, you know, pretty decent defender, great passer, great rebounder, great uh, you know, playmaker who can't shoot threes. You know, he's, uh, he's also one of the funnier players in the NBA, one of the best quotes in the NBA. Not that that means much for uh, on-court success, but from all, all accounts, um, a pretty funny guy. Has been a shit teammate in the past in Philadelphia and in Indiana, but none of those sort of um, rumors appeared in Boston. But he's going to get himself a pretty significant deal, and he might be back in Boston. He might not. They've also got a couple of non-guaranteed deals to make decisions on. I think the Jonas Jurepko one at $5 million is an absolute no-brainer to me to keep him unless... Um, you need to shed salary to bring in Kevin Durant or to bring in some big names or in parts of trades. I think you have to um, deal with that. Amir Johnson's on a $12 million non-guaranteed salary. Whether you guarantee that or not remains to be seen. You you might. It's not a bad price, but he, he struggled at times this year with, with injuries. He struggled getting enough minutes in Brad Stevens' rotation, and that's not necessarily Johnson's fault because when he did play and down the stretch when he was getting extra minutes, he looked really good. But... Um, maybe this glut of big man, maybe if Sullinger goes, maybe if Zeller goes, then more minutes open up for Johnson there. But at 29 years of age, 
He is the oldest player on this team, along with Yoni Sherepko, and doesn't really fit the timeline of these other guys like Smart and Crowder and Bradley and Thomas, who are only maybe four or five years younger. You know, Thomas, 27, but a guy that's had persistent ankle problems throughout his career, and he's going to be turning 30 soon. Where does he fit? Maybe he goes as well and opens up some uh, some cap space for this team. That is their free agency situation as we look ahead to next season. Let's look now at the players and uh, how they performed from a fantasy point of view. We're going to start with their all-star, Isaiah Thomas. And Isaiah Thomas had a great year. I did not expect him to be this sort of player. He jumped from 74th in 9-cat leagues to 37th. That's obviously a a big leap. He went from 71st in 8-cat to 27th. But he did suffer a drop-off post-all-star. Went from 33 to 58. And that's not... Not a huge, huge um, drop-off, but it is it, it is something to consider. He averaged 22.5 points. He hit two threes a game. He had three rebounds and over six assists, 1.1 steals, and shot 43 and 87 and 35% from three. An emotional leader of this team, the heart and soul of this team to a degree. Uh, fan favorite, great scorer. But how good is he, actually? Yes, he was an all-star point guard, but I, I, yes, he will always be an all-star. But he's not an all-star, if that makes any sense. I don't think he's that good. He is an above-average point guard, but he is a little bit of a liability defensively, and some of that is to do with his size. Yes, the steal numbers were pretty good, but overall his defensive numbers aren't all that good. He was a positive plus three on-off numbers, and that's that's a pretty solid number. Not the best on the team, but, but pretty decent. Um, but I would I would think that his role is best as a sixth man, and the Celtics would at some stage, probably not next season, but would like to give Marcus Smart that starting role and have Isaiah Thomas come off the bench in a 25 or 27-minute role. Whether Thomas is, is happy with that, you probably doubt it at this point, but it's, it's not to say that I don't think that Thomas is a starting point guard on a team that um, is an NBA Finals contender. He's good, but he's not that good. In terms of what he does for fantasy, I think that he should be able to maintain his role as a top 50 guy again next season. But after that, I'm not so sure he remains as a top 50 player. And that's where you consider that in dynasty leagues. If you've got him and you can get yourself someone who you think becomes a top 50 player for the next five seasons, that's probably better value than Thomas, who might not remain a top 50 guy for the next five seasons. And it's all about you know, thinking you might completely disagree with me. And all his advanced numbers were absolutely superb. 56 true shooting. He had a PR of almost 22. He had almost 10 win shares. He led the team in win shares per 48 as well. He had a five offensive box score plus minus. But when you look at his defensive box score plus minus, at a negative two. That's second worst on the team, and actually worse on the team, um, considering you're not going to count the six minutes that Cody Clark played during the season. So by defensive metrics, he was the worst player on this team. But overall, he's obviously a positive value on the team. But that defense could be a a concern at some point, especially with his size. And if, if his speed decreases at some point as he gets a little bit older because he is he's not um, super young he's not super old he's 27 years old so again I, I think that we're going to see pretty good numbers from him next season he's on a ridiculously cheap contract but Marcus Smart would be the guy that they that they're going to want to take over um, this starting point guard role at least by the, the start of his next deal which he's still got two more seasons on and that's the way that if I was the Celtics I'd be looking at I don't know whether they are or not but they could very well be looking at it that way now Thomas took big big leaps this season after a disappointing year split between Phoenix and Boston last year. He scored over six points per game more. Yes, he played six minutes per game more, but what he was able to do, he shot slightly better from the field. 
His three-point percentage actually dropped, but dished out two more assists a game, grabbed more rebounds, had more steals. Overall, a, a pretty uh, pretty impressive season from uh, from Isaiah Thomas. But uh, but his per 36 numbers not quite as good as the year before. So that that gives you a little a little bit of a pause. And it's all about perceived value and acquiring value in fantasy. I'm not saying he's a bad player. I think he's a really good player, and he's a he's, he's quite a good point guard. But he's not a top five point guard. He's not a top ten point guard probably. And you have to be looking at it and thinking, if you're talking about moving forward two seasons, three seasons, where is Isaiah Thomas? Is is the likelihood of him being the 35th ranked player, is that higher? Or is the likelihood higher of him being the 75th ranked player by the time we get to 2018? And we're trying to project two years in advance, two seasons in advance, but I would have to say that the likelihood of him being 75th is higher in 2018 than it is being 35th. And that's the way you should be looking at these. And a great site to go to, and I'm not just pumping it because it's the site that I work for, but Roto Monster, which is part of the Basketball Monster um, group of sites, head across to Roto Monster and just look up players. You can look up any players, players who have finished their career, and just have a look at their rankings. And you always see there's, there's a period about two to three seasons, apart from the elite guys, two to three seasons when they have oh, top 50 seasons. This guy's ranked 40th for three seasons. And then you see the drop-off come. And it's, it's really a good way to get a broader... It doesn't even matter what player it is. You can look up anyone. Look up Robert Horry, look up Nick Van Exel, look up whoever you want. And just have a look at the way that numbers peak and then drop off. And peaks aren't sustained for big chunks of time unless you're absolutely best of the best. And Thomas isn't best of the best. We can all admit that. He is a really good player. But that's the sort of thing you've got to look at. And he's put together... You know, we had a 24th ranked season back in Sacramento, 68th last season, and then another you know, top 30 um, season here in eight cat leagues. Maybe he does another one inside the top 30, and then it starts to drop off. And that's that's the way you've got to be you've got to be looking at these if you're not in a we are absolutely winning now mode. If you're looking to build a bit more for the future, that's the way you should be considering it, in my opinion. But again, you could have a completely different thought process on Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder. Um, Crowder took a massive step forward this season. I wasn't the biggest fan of Crowder before he arrived in Boston. I thought he struggled last season, and that's because he actually did struggle last season. He, he was poor for... Look, he had, he had his moments, but he, he wasn't great. But this year, he was absolutely superb and it exploded. He went from 185th last season to 32nd in rankings in 9-cat, from 218th to 51st in uh, in 8-cat leagues. He had a bit of a drop-off post-All-Star. He did suffer an injury, which uh, which cost him some uh, some some minutes and some games. Only a couple, but but still, you know, still missed, uh, still missed a few games. But what he was able to do this season after signing that contract is tremendous. A, a guy, again, just another one of those contract year myth things. He signed the contract and got ridiculously better. You know, I hate injury prone, but I hate contract year even more because it's it's a great narrative when someone's in a contract year and they put up a good season, but it's conveniently ignored when someone has a shit season in a contract year or has their best season post contract exactly like Jay Crowder did. And that's why it's a narrative that pisses me off. I'm going to write an article about it um, at some point in the off-season, highlighting guys from last season in contract years and guys heading into it. But you'll see that there's it's almost a 50-50 proposition as to whether a guy gets better or gets worse in his contract year. And it's, it's a great narrative to throw out there. Contract year player, look at the numbers when it happens 50% of the time, like anyone else having a career year. Anyway, back onto Jay Crowder. He played 32 minutes a night, and he uh, 
They scored almost 14 points a game. They had 1.7 threes, hit 5.2 rebounds, almost two assists, 1.7 steals, shot 43 and 81, including 33% from three. And 33% from three isn't good. We know that, but it's a big step up from 29 that he shot last year. Now, we only played 20 minutes a game last season, some of those in Dallas, some of those in Boston. But even when he came to Boston, it wasn't like he was out there playing 30 minutes a night. He was a guy that was... He was battling with uh, with Evan Turner for, for minutes, and we weren't sure who was going to be the starter. Turner started games overcrowded last season, and they offer completely different skill sets, obviously. Um, but he, he wasn't fantastic. And I have a look at what he did last season in terms of his um, his minutes per game in Boston. He only played 24 minutes a game in Boston. He only started 17 of the 57 games that he played. So you would have taken a massive leap of faith to think that Jay Crowder was all of a sudden going to start every game and play 30 minutes a night and be a top 50 player. Now, you couldn't have predicted that sort of stuff. I thought that he was... Um, I thought that... And I was wrong. I thought it would be a struggle for him to get much better. And I thought the battle with Evan Turner you might might cost him some minutes and keep him in that 25 to 27 range. It obviously didn't. He was uh, clearly the better player, not to say Turner wasn't good, but, but Crowder was, was right up there. He improved his per 36 numbers. is a great way to look at these guys that get these extra minutes, and he played an extra 12 minutes per game, but he increased his scoring, his three-pointers. His rebounding dropped, but his steals increased. He shot better from the field. He shot better from the line. He shot better from three. So efficiency across the board was better. Yeah, scoring was better, defense was better as well. So all hats off go out to Jay Crowder. But he's another one to me that's a bit like Isaiah Thomas. In how many seasons do you think he can put together top 50 years? Or, or you know, 51st in ACAT? How many years do you reckon he can do it? I give him two years, three years. He's, he's decent. But is he really that good of a player at age 26 who's going to do this for the next five seasons? And look, his contract is ridiculously cheap. He's going to be pay- in the 2019-20 season. He's going to be paid less than eight million dollars. It is going to look cheap. But by that point, when he is you know over 30, he's not going to be a top 50 player. I think it's fair to uh, fair to assume. And I think there's a big chance that he's not a top 50 guy again next season. I, I don't think that's being too. And people might think that I'm being very hateful here on the Boston Celtics, and not at all. I don't have any issue against the Celtics whatsoever. I'm just trying to look at these things uh, realistically and try and get a, a factor on it. And can Crowder get better? Yeah, maybe. He can shoot better threes, definitely. He can get that to 36%, and that, that's an improvement. That'll get him some more scoring and some more threes. But he was getting steals at an absolutely insane rate this season, and it's not something that he's ever really done at, at that sort of level before. He, he led the team in steals percentage, or equal with Marcus Smart at 2.7%. And that's a pretty high number. He was getting lots of four and five steal games, but he doesn't pass the ball. He doesn't get assists. Um, his usage is less than 20, but defensively, he is good. And he's a 1.3 defensive box score plus minus, overall a 2.8. He was second on the team in win shares. He was uh, third on the team in win shares per 48. So not saying that he wasn't a good se- having a good season. And I do think that he's a guy that... Yeah, he's going to be a top 70 player next season, but will he be that guy who's 32 in nine cat leagues? I wouldn't be taking him in the third round in nine cat leagues. I can absolutely assure you of that. Would I take him at 51 in an eight cat league? Maybe. What's that? The start of the fifth round? Maybe, but I probably wouldn't. I'd consider it, but I, it really, and again, as per always with these, and part of the reason why I do hate rankings is that it depends on what the rest of my team looks like. Because where Crowder's strength comes from is his steals. That is his biggest positive category. And if we look at all these categories in terms of Z scores, negative in scoring, a positive in threes. Negative rebounder, negative assists, negative blocks, negative field goal percentage. 
but he gives you a massive 1.6 positive um, standard deviation score in steals, and yeah, he's a he's a minor positive in free throws. So if I, my steals are looking good, then what does what does Crowder offer me? And that's again, and this will be explored more further throughout the season when I talk about rankings. But it's it's not like I've got pick fifty one, Jay Crowder's ranked fifty one. I'm taking Jay Crowder at fifty one. That's not how it works, and it's not how it should ever work, really. In the NBA draft, I'm all about taking best player available. In fantasy, I I'm, I do not um, subscribe to that theory whatsoever. Anyway, back to his dynasty value. Maybe you agree, maybe you disagree, but I do think that he'll be a guy... This, this is the start of some good play from him. Probably a three-year stretch of him being a player that hovers in that top 60 range, but I don't really see him ever pushing into the top 20 or him really being able to maintain this long-term. Maybe I'm being harsh, maybe I'm being unfair. You'd be the judge of that, but um, yeah, I'm not a... I'm not... I'm still not an overall huge, huge believer in Jay Crowder. Maybe that's some stubbornness on my part, but I don't think it is. I do think he's a great player. I do think he's a really... I've got his bloody jersey behind me, which you can see. I think he's a hes a fun guy to watch. It's just more about how good can this guy be long-term. And that's the, that's the thought process I have for a dynasty format. Avery Bradley really took a step forward this year, got himself on the all-defensive team, all-defensive NBA team. Played uh, 77 games, played 33 minutes a pop, and he ended the season as the 64th ranked player and took another big leap from 116th last year. Um, eight caddy was 71st, up from 122nd. So big jumps, consistent pre and post all star, had the second or third high, try again, the fourth highest um, on off number on the team at 3.3. Crowder was at 3.4. Both of those guys higher than Isaiah Thomas. And Bradley's defense was absolutely superb, guarding twos, guarding ones. He did a lot of work um, defensively, like Crowder. And having Crowder and Bradley and Marcus Smart on the wings meant that Boston's defense was tremendous. And it sort of made up for the fact that they didn't have a real rim protector on this team. Because you have, if you have lockdown um, perimeter guys, then rim protection, yes, it's important, but they can um, they can cover to, to a degree. Well, they, not that they can cover, but they can... They can make it easier for the players who aren't quite as good in that position. Now, Bradley, in his uh, in his 33 minutes a game, he averaged 15 points a career high, almost hit two threes a game a career high, grabbed 2.9 rebounds, had two assists, one and a half steals, and was a 45 and 79% shooter, shooting 36% from three. And all those numbers feel about what he'll be able to do moving forward in his career. Not really sure he ever can take it to a 20-point a game. That's just not who he is. He's a defender who can handle the ball a bit, who can hit some threes. And he's been a pretty steady three-point shooter the last three years, shooting 40. 35 and 36% over those three seasons. He's not a great free throw shooter, but he's not a bad one. And he's a if he can keep his field goal percentage around that 50, or not 50, about 45 mark, I think he'd be pretty happy. And obviously his loss in the in the playoffs due to a hamstring injury really hurt the um really hurt the Celtics' chances of getting over the line there. If we have a look at what he was um what he was able to do advanced numbers wise, he's um his win shares per 48, they weren't great. They were below average. Um, he still finished fifth on the team in total win shares, and his box score plus minus was only a point two, which is not, not a great number. Finished seventh on the team in that metric, had a below average PER, had a below average true shooting of 54, uh, had a VORP of 1.4. In not, not great numbers from uh, from Avery Bradley advanced-wise, but overall what he does on the court, and the on-off numbers were pretty impressive. 
but he is a, a key part of this team. But he's by no means indispensable, I don't think. He is signed to a pretty uh, pretty nice contract at, at $8 million for the next couple of seasons. But he's he shouldn't be considered as an indispensable player on this team because he's just not that, he's not that he's good. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, fifteen points along with that defense is good. And this feels like I'm saying the same thing about Crowder and about Isaiah Thomas as well. They're good, but they're not great players. But I think that Thomas can remain in that top eighty discussion for the next three to four seasons as well. Much like I think that Crowder and, and, and Thomas or Thomas uh, Bradley Bradley Thomas and Crowder are all sort of the same, and they'll all start to decline around that same um, sort of time frame in my mind. The next player we're going to look at is Evan Turner, who had a, somewhat of a renaissance this year. It wasn't as good as maybe some people might have thought it was. He finished 132nd in 9-cat and 108th in 8-cat leagues, but that's a jump from 168 last year. But post-All-Star, he was the 90th ranked player. So that's a big jump. He was you know, a key part down the stretch when um, when the Celtics were missing players, and he had to come in and you know, handle the ball and, and run a lot of stuff for this team. And a real you know, bounce. Oh, last year, he was good too, and I think he was underratedly good last year, but a, a solid bounce back from him. Uh, after that season where he was in Indiana to end that end that run uh, after he got traded from Philadelphia. He played 29 minutes a game and averaged just a shade under 11 points, but he hit .3 triples, and he hit him at 24%. He hit him at 28 last year. He just is not a good three-point shooter, but he gives you five assists, four and a half... Sorry, five rebounds, four and a half assists, and a steal a game. Had half a block um, and, and 40... Uh, 45% from the field, 82% from the line for uh, for for Evan Turner. So he's got those... He was, used to be a really poor free-throw shooter, but he's got those back up. Solid shooting. His mid-game shooting is fine. He just can't hit threes. Now, he may or may not be back in Boston. He was a negative on-off as a negative um, three negative 3.3 with his on-off numbers. Nothing too spectacular there. He's not a player that I imagine is going to go to a team and, and look, unless he goes to the Knicks, which is a possibility, and if he plays 35 minutes there, then he, yeah, he's a guy that you can take at the end of a draft. But overall, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure that there's a huge amount of upside for Evan Turner uh, at this point. In terms of his advanced numbers, they weren't spectacular. He was a negative 1.9 offensive box score plus minus, just 0.9, uh, sorry, just, no, so four in win share, so a pretty good number there, and a negative overall box score plus minus. But defensively, he was good, as a lot of the players were on this team. He's an underrated defender on the wing, and he's a, he's a really solid um, distributor, as we're, we are well aware. Second on this team in assist percentage behind Isaiah Thomas. Coming from a small forward, having that extra source of ball handling and playmaking, which is um, uh, which is what he uh, which is what he gives, is really um, it's key for a team. And he's a I think he's a great role player, he's a great sixth man or seventh man on a team. But if you're starting him, I'm not sure your team can really be any good. And you have to your league has to be at least 14 teams deep, I think, to really consider Evan Turner. Although if your team looks a little light on an assist and you haven't decided to punt that category, and Evan Turner is available in those last two or three rounds, which he probably will be, you can get him and you can get yourself five assists because you can't find five assists anywhere else. Don't expect threes, but he's not hurting you in percentages anymore. He'll get you a steal, he'll get your rebounds, and he'll score a little bit. So he is a decent guy there just to try and snatch up those last remaining assists uh, as assists that are available um, in the draft room. Jared Salinger. Not a player who um, gets the your most friendliest of receptions from a lot of people. First of all, sported a shit haircut all season. I can't get behind that haircut. I know lots of players have it. Marcus Smart has it. Not not a fan, whatever. Fat, yep, we, we've heard that. I, I can't talk. I'm fat as well. Cool. He's fat. He's a professional athlete. I'm talking about professional athletes. I'm allowed to be a bit fatter. 
but he was really good. I thought he was really, really solid for most of the season. And as a big man, as a as a forward or power forward or a centre playing under Brad Stevens, for you to actually be classed as good, it's a pretty big step considering that you don't get an opportunity. You're jerked in and out of rotations. You don't get opportunities to play minutes. He played just 23 minutes a game this season. And let's be honest, for the first four months of the season, Jared Salinger was a must-own player. But he fell out of favor. His minutes got reduced. Uh, Amir Johnson started, And Brad Stevens is just constantly tinkering with what he does with the big men and then just completely shit the bed in the playoffs and didn't provide much really at all for, for this team. Now, whether he comes back or not remains to be seen. Um, the Celtics do have a fairly big supply of big men and could very well be adding a power forward in Dragon Bender uh, at pick three in the draft. So maybe you know, retaining Solinger isn't the biggest isn't the biggest priority. He's going to get over $10 million. He's a solid guy, um, no pun intended. He averaged only 9.9 points, but that's, again, 23 minutes. So you extend him out to 30, which is probably what he should have been close to getting. He hit half a three, but he did it 29%. He did it 28 the year before. He did it 27 the year before. At this point, he just can't shoot three-pointers. He took one a game, which is better than the 3.2 he took last season or the 2.8 he took the year before. At least... And when he's not hitting them, he's not taking them, and that's a bonus. But 8.8 rebounds, good number, but doesn't protect the rim. 0.5 blocks, 0.9 steals, 43% and 64, not an efficient scorer in any uh, manner of the game, but did grab a lot of rebounds and and was a player who was was a solid fantasy asset, but the the drop-off was significant. He was the 108th ranked player um, for the season, and, and... no, sorry, 119th ranked player for the season, but went 107th slash 142 for pre and post All-Star for eight cat leagues. And you know, in the playoffs, obviously, he was worse. He had an on-off of 2.9, so not a bad number there. The team was obviously better with him on the court. But I think it's, um, unless something drastically changes or a move comes out of the blue, I'm not sure that many teams are going to be you know, paying through the nose to make Jared Salinger their starter. And that's going to push him outside that top 150 range, I would imagine, for next season. I could be wrong, but I don't. I don't see. Look, he did it in 23 minutes this year. He was a top 120 player in 23 minutes, and that's pretty impressive. I just don't imagine that he can um, be that sort of player again. I'm just. I'm struggling to see how he's a top 120 guy again. I don't think he'll be that far removed from it. Maybe top 150, but I'm not sure he's going to be right in that 120 mark. Amir Johnson, much like Jared Salinger, much like one of the other players I'm going to talk about later suffered at the hands of uh, Brad Stevens. All his numbers suffered at the hands of Brad Stevens. He played only 23 minutes a game, Amir. He averaged 7.4 points. He hit six point, grabbed 6.4 rebounds. He had 0.6 steals. He blocked 1.1 shots and shot 59% and 59% from the line. He shot 22% from uh, from three as well. So obviously the three-point game is not something that uh, Amir Johnson loves. But in nine cat leagues, he was 109th. He was 123rd in eight cat leagues. So again, playing these minimal minutes. And if they played 30 minutes a game... Both him and Sullinger would be would have would have been clear top 100 players, but at 29 years of age, bung ankles for Amir Johnson. Um, what does the future hold for him, whether it's on this team or another? Again, I thought that he was you know, somewhat underused, and by underused, I mean they playing David Lee in in front of him was ridiculous. Playing Tyler Zeller in front of him was ridiculous. Those two guys should never have been in the rotation, and they weren't for, for chunks of, of time. But Zeller still played 12 minutes a game in 63 games. Lee still you know, played minutes for big chunks of the season before he was bought out. And, and those minutes should have been going to Johnson and Salinger, in my opinion. doesn't matter. The Celtics still got the third seed, so what do I know? But Johnson, with those numbers, you know, not 
not a huge amount for me to be too excited about with him. But defensively, he was he was a key part of this team. He was um, second on the team in defensive box score plus minus uh, with a 3.2 there. He led the team in total box score plus minus. He had the second highest win shares per 48 on this team. He had an above average PER. He had an above average true shooting. He was uh, he was really key in the minutes that he did play. And he's been I've been a fan of Amir Johnson's for quite a few seasons now. He just never seems to get sort of set in a role. And his game is somewhat limited offensively, but I think he can do enough. And I think he can, we know that he can defend. Now, whether they decide to bring him back because of other failed moves and keep him as their starting center or a center that plays 23 minutes as a rim protector, I think that that's absolutely fine for $12 million for one year. But in terms of fantasy, he'll likely be a guy that goes on a hot streak and then plays a bunch of games at 17 minutes and then plays another bunch at 27, much like every big man that's ever played under Brad Stevens. Maybe it's just that he hasn't ever felt any have been any good, but to me, there's always been clear distinctions about who should have, should have and shouldn't have been playing, and Stevens has never really uh, abided by that. He did sport a nice 2.8 on-off number, um, but nothing really too much to say from him. As I said, he is 29 years of age, and, and the decline should start to come pretty soon. The opposite of decline is incline, but I don't think we can really use that when we talk about Marcus Smart because it just sounds dumb. He's on the incline. It sounds stupid. He's on the rise. I really, really like Marcus Smart. I think that Marcus Smart has got the most fantasy potential on this entire team. He can comfortably be a top 40 player at some point. It might not come for another two seasons, but I do really think that he's got the ability to be a 17 to 18 point scorer. That's going to take a bit of work, but he could hit. He he could he could easily hit 1.83s a game. He could get you five rebounds and five and a half assists and get you two steals, and that though those are enormous fantasy numbers. If you're investing in someone and the the, the owner of Marcus Smart doesn't love him, I, I really see big things coming for Marcus Smart. Now he played 28 minutes a game this season. He started for for big chunks of the year. Um, had a, had a few games where he where he came off the bench, but not not. Uh, not many um, actually that's not true he only started 10 games I don't know what I was thinking about there but 61 games and fantasy stats 153rd nine cat leagues that's not great but pre-all-star he was the 96th ranked player then he dropped post-all-star to 218 same in 8 cat 103 slash 197 he will be a guy that I will be looking at inside the top 100 next season I think that he can maintain that you know, that role around that 100 mark, and then he's got a breakout potential to jump him into the top 70 with top 40 potential coming after that. What Smart did this season, uh, he played 28 minutes a night, up one minute from last season, but increased his scoring up to 9.4. He only hit 1.13s, which is a disappointing after rookie season where he hit 1.4, but 4.2 rebounds, three assists, one and a half steals. Shot a disappointing 35% from the field, 78 from the line, and 26 from three. Now, the 78 is a big improvement and you expect rookies to improve that. You don't expect them to go backwards in their field goal percentage. And he went from 37 to 35 and took his three-pointers down from 34 to 26. But he can get better. He can get back to a 34 three-point shooter. He can be a 41 field goal percent shooter, perhaps even higher. I think that this is obviously a pretty good time to buy Marcus Smart if people are looking at those numbers and, and, and really they should be turned off by that field goal percentage if they're not willing to punt it because it's a big, big obstacle to come back from. But I do believe that he can can hit threes and, and can hit them at a, at a decent rate and be just a super aggressive guy getting steals and could easily lead the league in steals in one of his seasons and be a, a five-rebound, five-assist guy. Probably not approaching 20 points, but I do think that Marcus Smart offers a lot. He was just a negative in on-off, a negative 0.3, but that's that's not bad for a guy in his second season. Um, 
defensively, again, a positive as a point guard is, is a rarity. We look at Isaiah Thomas as a negative two, Marcus Smart as a 1.3 defoxive, defensive box score plus minus. That's that's a real uh, thing for him. And that negative 0.6 offensively, given he shot the ball so poorly and with a true shooting of just 46%, there is huge, huge scope for him to improve his, uh, his offensive numbers. He was a below average win shares guy. He was uh, a below average PER. But I think there's a lot of things to like about Marcus Smart moving forward. And I do really think that he's going to be a, a really top-class fantasy player. Now, it's pretty well-known that I have quite a few fantasy boyfriends around the NBA. And you probably know who I'm going to start talking about now. And that's Kelly Olynyk. I think that Kelly Olynyk can easily, easily be a top 50 fantasy player. Easily. If... He gets the minutes, and it appears that Brad Stevens never wants to give him those minutes. He he led this team in on-off numbers at 3.8. He was I talked about Salinger being perhaps underused. I talked about Amir Johnson perhaps being underused. Kelly Olynyk was beyond underused. He is a dangerous offensive weapon on this team. Dangerous. He is their best three-point shooter. Um, he's not a horrific defender. He's not a, a terrible rim protector. He's not great at it, but he's not he's not terrible. Um, I just think he's he's underused, and I don't really understand why he's just not getting that sort of playing time. Yes, injuries did bother him a bit this season, but he only played 20 minutes a game, and that's less than his first two seasons. He still averaged nine and a half, four, and one and a half. He hit 1.23s. He got 0.7 steals and 0.5 blocks, 45, 75, and 40 as his percentages. Now, they're pretty bloody impressive. And he saw his field goal percentage actually dip this year. He was a 48 guy last season. His per 36 numbers, if we look at them, they're outstanding. 17.5, 2 triples, 7 rebounds, 2.7 assists, 1.3 steals, 0.8 blocks. He, he, to me, is a comfortable top 50 player if he's given a 30-minute role with the way that he is developing. I think he is one of the more unique centers in the NBA with what he can do. Um, again, the rim protection... It's not great, but with the perimeter defenders that Boston's got, it can somewhat be masked. And I really think that, that Olenek gets underused on this team. Whether he's a starting center that's worthy of 30 minutes at some point in his NBA career, maybe that's up for debate. But I do really like what, what he can do. You know, 40% shooter from three from a from a guy who's a center, from a seven-footer, uh, and then hits 1.23s in less than 20 minutes. It's pretty bloody impressive to me. He was a positive on offense and defense with his box score plus minus. He was um, the fourth player on this team in win shares per 48. In terms of actual total win shares, he was actually sixth, um, and it's, it's a pretty decent number at 4.1, an above-average PER, an above-average true shooting percentage. I really, really like Kelly Olenek. Many people won't, and many people dislike him because of the Kevin Love injury from the year before, which I think is just ridiculous, the furor of that course. And you heard me talk about that. I could not stand that. That was one of the more insane things I've ever heard. Um and people don't like him. But again, psychology, fantasy basketball. If they don't like him, I'll, I'll have him. Cool. Kelly Linick, where did he rank? 142nd this year in 19 minutes. 142nd. 150th in ACAT in 19 minutes. I'll have him. All he needs is a role. And they piss Sullinger off. They piss Zeller off. Maybe they bring in Bender. But surely he gets to 25 minutes next season. Surely. Gets that shoulder fix, which uh, cost him time in the playoffs. And again, losing Avery Bradley, having Isaiah Thomas hobble with an ankle, and then Kelly Olynyk not playing in the playoffs. It's a big reason why the Celtics lost. I could not rate, or I could, 
he's not the player that Towns is. I think that he is a really unique weapon in the NBA. And again, when he's your best three-point shooter, you've got to play him more than 20 minutes a night. And it's not like it's the only thing he can do. He can pass, he can score, he can uh, block some shots, he can defend a bit. He can do bits and pieces and then you know, stretch out and hit the threes. Look, he is sporting a top five shit haircut in the NBA. I'm well aware of that. And you know, I, I gave Solinger um, crap for having a poor haircut. Olynyk is is dreadful. It's it's top five shit haircuts in the NBA. But still, I do like his uh, fantasy potential, and he's a guy that I'm uh, I'm pretty heavily invested in in terms of just my thought process on him and um, the fact that I've put it down the airwaves for the last two years. How good I think he is, and hopefully he uh, he repays me. Come on, Kelly. I know that you're listening. Let's uh, let's get it happening. Let's get to it, in fact. The next player, Yonis Repko, another guy that I'm pretty uh, pretty high on, um, was from back in his time in Detroit, and just think that the Celtics acquired him in exchange for Tayshaun Prince. So that worked out pretty well in their favor. He was a negative 0.4 on the season, but only 321st in 9-cat leagues, 332nd in 8-cat, and again, a guy that didn't play enough. There's just too many players uh, on this team, or too many players up up front. Again, too many players that, that played minutes they shouldn't. The 470 minutes that David Lee played were unnecessary. The 710 minutes that Tyler Zeller played, played to me were also unnecessary. But a guy like Jerepko, we saw the sort of ability that he can have when he took over from Tyler Zeller as the starter. In the playoffs, he um he really showed what what I've seen from him and what I've thought about him for for quite a while. Uh, again, back to his days in Detroit where he was uh, criminally underused as well, and obviously criminally undervalued. If they're trading him away in exchange for um for Tayshawn Prince, he would have looked pretty sweet to start the season next to Drummond in a Stan Van Gundy offense instead of Ersan Ilyasova, but that obviously um wasn't to be. Let's have a look at how he went for the season. He uh, he played. Just 16 minutes a game and averaged 4.7 points, but 0.6 triples, grabbed four boards, 0.3 steals, 0.3 blocks, 42 and 78, hitting 39% of his three. So another big man, the second best three-point shooter on this team behind Kelly Olynyk. So he, he had a really impressive season to me. But in the playoffs, he stepped it up. Yes, he only he only played, well, he only started four games. And he only averaged 9.2 points, but he played 27 minutes a night. He shot 48% from the field. Um, he grabbed seven rebounds a game. He almost got to a block a game. He, he's careful with the ball. He shot 80% from the free throw line. Yurepko is a guy that that I do really think can be a decent contributor as a Ryan Anderson bench role player. Maybe that's sort of where where I see him. Um, will he be better than 321 next season? It, it, it depends who they put in front of him. I, I would think that he's more of a lock to be a top 250 player next season. I could be completely wrong, but I do really think that Yurepko ha- has a pretty fantasy-friendly game, and he's a, he's a guy that I'm excited to see exactly where he ends up. Now, he was a positive defensively. He was a bit of a negative offensively during the during the regular season. But if we have a look at what his numbers did in the playoffs and advanced numbers, and again, it's a very small sample. So I said the Celtics lost in seven before. I meant to say six. I apologize for that. If we have a look at what um, what he did in the, in the playoffs, I'm just trying to find his name. There we go. So he, he was a he was a positive box score plus minus in the playoffs. A massive win shares per forty eight. Positive win shares. In, 57% true shooting. It was a big leap forward for him in the playoffs. And I would think at $5 million, they will guarantee that deal unless Kevin Durant's coming and they need to free up $5 million. But Yurepko's a guy for you deeper league players. 
he's someone that you can have a look at, and I think that he will be much much better next season. But he's 29 years old, so don't go overly excited and think, oh, he's going to be a top 100 player when he gets going and when he gets better. He's 29. He sort of is what he is, but I reckon that we could see we could we could see a top 170 season from him either next season or the year before, depending how a lot of things shake out. But he was uh, really impressive in the playoffs. But it was again, remember, a six-game sample size, so don't overrate it too much. Hard to overrate why Tyler Zeller did because he was pretty uh, pretty piss poor. He was a negative 7.1 on off. He was 335th in nine cat leagues and he was he was a 120th last season. So a big drop off there. Um, went from uh, 155 to 341 in eight cat leagues. Just could not see the court and it's because he stunk a lot of the time. He only played 12 minutes a game, six points, three rebounds, 0.4 blocks, 48 and 81. And I, I, I don't think he's a terrible player, but he definitely wasn't one of the top four big men on this team and as a restricted free agent maybe they bring him back he he did lead this team uh, in in, um, in block percentage so that's saying that's, that's something it wasn't a big block percentage it was just 2.2 uh, 2. 2, but still oh, sorry 2.4 but he did still lead this team in that statistic but he was a negative overall defensively he was a big negative offensively um, nothing really stood out brilliantly about what he was able to do and a bit disappointing for him from this season. Now, as a backup center who could feel like a Cole Aldrich type, I don't think he's as good as Aldrich, but that could be the guy that the Clippers maybe look for as Aldrich goes and gets paid. Maybe the Clippers look for, for a player like Tyler Zeller, but at this point, he's, he's firmly behind Kelly Olynyk. But say Amir Johnson goes, maybe they retain him and use him as a player who plays 20 minutes a night, and then, then he challenges to become a top 160 player who's an efficient scorer, an efficient guy at the free throw line, who blocks some shots and grabs some rebounds. Just don't expect much else. Don't get assists, don't get steals, don't get points. But he can be that guy that contributes in a few areas. RJ Hunter, one of the... Um, first-round draft choices that the Celtics had from last season. Wouldn't say that he had a great year. He played 41 games and nine minutes a game, just 2.5 points, and shot, or had half a, half a three a game and didn't do much of anything else. Shot 36 from the field, 80, 86 from the line is pretty good, and only 29% from three. He was, I think, under 30% from college as well in his last season, and a lot was made of it, and I said it as well, that I think that he's taking all these shots, being triple teamed, and last seconds of shot clocks and all that sort of stuff. Um, but he shot just as poorly in his first NBA season. Now, he will get better, but I don't have a huge amount of faith in RJ Hunter from talking to people who watched a lot of Celtics games and um, well, I watched you know, quite a few Celtics games myself, but talking to people who are more closer to the team and, and watched some of him in the D-League, I don't think it was like he was uh, superb over in the D-League. He can be a decent shooter, and I reckon in four years' time, he'll be a player who maybe projects as a CJ Miles guy a guy that can come in and hit two threes and be a, a decent contributor in a fantasy team in and, in and out of rosters. Now, he played eight games in the D-League and didn't shoot much better. Less than 30% from the three-point line. He averaged 14 points, four rebounds, three assists, two steals. Um, the steals thing is what's interesting to me out of his D-League numbers because if he can get that, again, that's the, the sort of CJ Miles comp that I'm, that I'm looking at with him. But I'm not overly, um, no overly thrilled with him. Obviously, Avery Bradley's ahead of him. Um, Marcus Smart, Isaiah Thomas, and then Terry Rozier, you know, took over from him uh, or, or took his minutes in the playoffs. And Rozier was a guy who I was pretty critical of the Celtics drafting at the time and didn't look great during the season. But he you know, bounced back in the playoffs. We'll talk about him in a sec. RJ Hunter, 
Not a lot to, to love with him, though. But again, the defense is something that did surprise me with him. He was a negative 0.4 defensive box score plus minus. And as a rookie who looked lost at, in on offense a lot of the time, to actually be a little bit locked in defensively is a bit of a positive. But overall, nothing about his advanced numbers, aside from that defensive box score plus minus, scream out being a player who's going to take the league by storm. But he could easily have a couple of top 100 seasons in about four years' time, would be my guess. Before we talk Terry Rozier, let's talk another one of the Celtics rookie, and that's Jordan Mickey. And I really, really like Mickey. He was he equal led the team with a Linux in on-off numbers at 3.8. He only finished the season at 4.31 in nine cat leagues, and yeah, that's probably not exciting. And you go, Josh, come on, get your hand off it. What's Mickey done? He played 18 games in four minutes. Yeah, that's not much. He averaged 1.4 points and 0.8 rebounds. Again, not much. But he hit. He blocked 0.7 shots in four minutes a game. If we want to extrapolate that out to per 36, which I'm sure you do you're talking about six blocks a game. And pretty sure you're aware that's a that's a pretty decent number. He's a really aggressive shot blocker. He's signed to a superb um, contract for this team. I think he's got a four-year guaranteed or four-year deal with team control at $1.2 million. And again, with Sullinger going and with Zala going, I think the fact that, that they've got Mickey allows them to feel more comfortable with Zala going because Mickey is a really good defender. He is going to be a, a really good shot blocker. So with this front court in flux and with no one really standing out and with Stevens not appearing to like Kelly Olynyk as much as I do, Mickey has got a real opportunity to, to transition from playing four minutes a game to playing 15 minutes a game next season. And I think that he'll be a reason why they won't overspend to get Tyler Zeller back. And he should probably overtake Zeller in the rotation, even if Zeller returns. If we look at what Mickey did, you know, box score plus minus wise he was a 4.1 defensive box score plus minus and again it's 57 minutes it is minuscule but when your eye test tells you this guy's a good defender and then the advanced stats say he's a good defender and then the traditional stats say this guy's blocking shots at just a crazy rate at 15.1% block rate which is Hassan Whiteside would kill to block shots like that it's so small but the potential for him to really become a, somewhat of a game changing defender it's uh, it's there and the shooting obviously has to improve. A true shooting of less than 40% is not ideal for anybody, let alone a big man. He's got to get better. Um, but I do think that the ability for Jordan Mickey to get better is there. And he's a guy that I am super interested in, dynasty-wise, um, to have a look at and see what he can uh, what he can actually do. Look at what his um, D-League stats were when he played down for the main red claws. Again, things are opening up in this, in this front court. So don't. I don't think he's going to be a top 150 player next season, but... Things are going to open up. He averaged 17.5 points and 10 rebounds. He averaged 4.4 blocks. So the six blocks per 36 in the NBA, yeah, it's a little high, but four blocks, four and a half blocks a game he averaged. 0.8 steals. He shot 53 from the field. He actually shot 35% from three on um, on 20 attempts. So it's not a big not a big sample size, but he only played 23 games. So we're talking 0.9 attempts. That's not bad. 75 from the free throw line. Again, not bad. Mickey projects as being a really good fantasy big man. Your league has to be deep to to enable yourself to hold him and stash him, but there's there's a big chance he could be a top two hundred player next year. There's a big chance. It's not it's not a lock to happen, and it depends on how the front court shakes out. But he has got fantasy potential written all over him. Terry Rozier was dreadful for most of the season. He was a negative ten point two on this team, who was tied for worst on this team with uh, the other player that I've uh, left to last, which I'll talk about soon. He ranked four fifty second in nine cat and four fiftieth in eight cat leagues. Obviously, none of that's good. He played forty four games at nine minutes, two point two points, one point eight rebounds, one assist, shot. 
30% from the field, actually 295 and 26 from three. But like all rookies, you would expect that to go to 36 or 37 next year. You would expect his threes to go to 31 or 32. And he already shot 83% from the field. So Rozier, if, say, an Evan Turner leaves, he can fill uh, Turner's role to a degree, uh, just as another ball handler. Um, and they've got, they've got comfort, comfort with him and time to be able to develop him for the next three years. What I saw from Terry Rozier in the playoffs was encouraging because... We didn't see we didn't see a huge amount from him in the regular season at all, and he did, he didn't do a huge amount in the playoffs. But he did play twenty minutes a game. He averaged five points. He, he got you one point two assists, and he got three and a half rebounds. And the rebounding part is the thing that's probably the more interesting thing to me: how aggressive he was, and he hit thirty six percent of his threes. So the fact that he with Avery Bradley out, he played the minutes at the two, and he's a bit smaller of a guy than say an RJ Hunter, but he played a lot more minutes than Hunter there. That says something to me about how they're viewing Rosier. He's 21 years of age, so he's not old. Obviously, in his first year in the league, he's on a rookie contract. I would be having him over RJ Hunter at this point, and I wouldn't have said the same thing at the start of last season. And I do really think that, that Rosier is almost a mini-marker smart. Now, he probably doesn't work out on this team, but if, say, smart doesn't work out or someone else or Bradley, Bradley goes, there's, there's a chance for him to have two or three top 70 seasons in his career in the next five five or six seasons. I don't think that's a crazy thing to think of. Um, I think he I think he can do it, but it is going to take... He's not going to be good for the next four years. I feel pretty confident in saying that at this point. It's more of a longer burn sort of thing with him, but I can definitely... He only played nine minutes a game in his 44 games. He should get more than that next season, and he should find himself... In, a, uh, in somewhat of a bigger role, and especially the way that he was trusted in the playoffs playing those 20 minutes a night. I don't think that Brad Stevens or Danny Ainge would have been disappointed in anything they saw from him in the playoffs. He was uh, he was pretty impressive for that small amount of time that he was on the court, especially given he was an, a 1.6 defensive box score plus minus in the playoffs. So that's a, that's a real... Um, it's a real key thing for a, a point guard to post such really good defensive um, advanced numbers. Again, six games. It's not, not, a, big, not a big amount. And James Young, he was a negative 10.2 on-off as well. He ranked 444th on the season. He ranked 454th in eight-cat leagues. Uh, I don't think it's crazy for me to say that James Young is terrible. He played 32 games, six and a half minutes, averaged a point. He shot 31% in his second season, 22 from three. I think he's just really bad. Now, he is 20 years old, so he's still the youngest player on this team despite the fact that they had three rookies on their roster. He's still the youngest player on the team, so he's got that going for him. And his D-League numbers, they're okay. But the Celtics have just got so many pieces across the wing, so many incoming draft picks as well. What do they do with him moving forward? He got worse this season in the D-League. He played less minutes a game. He shot the ball worse, only 41% and 35 from three. He averaged 15.6 rebounds, two assists, 1.1 steals and 0.7 blocks. They're all pretty good numbers. But he regressed in the D-League. And that's a disappointment for him. He actually posted you know, much worse advanced numbers in the D-League. All of his stats basically declined across the board. Now, I was I was interested in James Young when he came into the league, and he is still 20 years old. So we can't call him a bust just there. But with the, with the Celtics got so many players coming in and so many assets, he's not going to get a chance to develop. He should be included in any trades they do just to clear roster spots. It would be best for him. Maybe they decline his team options coming forward. Uh, we don't know at this point because... We, we just don't know what to expect from him because he's given them absolutely nothing so far. Hasn't been good for uh, for James Young or for any James Young fans out there. 
I'm going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be back to look at a couple of players the Celtics still own the draft rights for, in, in addition to all their assets that they've got coming, coming forward, um, and then answer some of your questions. It's amazing what you have at your fingertips. Emails, photos, banking. Yep, your smart devices keep getting smarter. But so do all those cyber criminals. They keep coming up with new ways to get at the personal things on your phone, tablet and computer. To keep them secure, always download the latest software and app updates. They contain important security upgrades which help protect your device from nasty viruses and hackers. Be Cyber Streetwise. Visit cyberstreetwise.com. mess today so i promise the next podcast will be better maybe i don't promise because maybe i'll be just as bad on that one but hey i think the information's been all right just uh, some of the execution hasn't been living up to uh, the standards that i've set myself previously now we had a, a late question come in from a member of the uh, red rock 30 team league ben clark he says late question if james young gets traded for or released is he worth a gamble by a wing desperate team or not good enough i i, I don't think he's good enough but as i mentioned ben he's 20 years old so he's got some ability and there's no harm in signing him to a minimum deal for two years and seeing what you get out of him. Maybe like a Wes Johnson who was terrible and really started to find his game after a couple of seasons and become a serviceable role player, which maybe Young can become. But it appears like he's got no chance of being able to do that in Boston. So any any if he gets released, then any team can basically... Or traded, traded for. He, he is... He's got some, he's got something he's got some sort of ability. I think that's probably yeah, probably the the best that I can uh, that, that say. But it just it's whether it's been situational or whether it's just been him being a, a complete spud. We don't know at this point. But yeah, he's he's definitely um, he's definitely struggled. Let's talk about the players. So they've got the draft rights on uh, Colton Iverson, who was a second round draft choice a couple of years ago, big seven footer. Um, he's been uh, he's playing over. Where is he playing? Be good if I could remember that. Got, got his numbers here. He was he was a threat to come over. He's been playing in, in Turkey, so he was a threat to come over this season, didn't. But I think that Iverson, again, just another big man that, that could come over into this team. He's a really solid finisher. He uh, In his 50 games this year, he averaged 11 points, 6.2 rebounds, 
0.6 blocks, 0.6 deals, but shot over 60% from the field. So that is, is a good in-close finisher, but he's got no real stretch game, doesn't hit threes, not a super uh, defender either, but he's a guy that could have a, a an okay you know, couple of seasons as a player who plays 12 or 13 minutes. I don't think there's a huge amount to be uh, excited about with Colton Iverson. The other player is the other Marcus Thornton, who they drafted in the second round um, last season, who came across and played in Australia, actually, in the NBL for Sydney. And it, it's fair to say he didn't light the NBL on fire like James Ennis did when he came across. In his 28 games and 29 minutes a game, he shot just 38% and 28% from three. He had 13 points, two assists, two and a half rebounds, 0.6 deals. Nothing really exciting uh, about what uh, Marcus Thornton was able to do. Really poor offensive rating of 98.5 and defensive rating of 118.5. So useless there. 22 usage at PER of 10.5. When you're not able to tear apart the Australian League, I'm not really sure that Marcus Thornton, again, with so many guards in Boston, if he has any hopes. And neither Iverson or Thornton are two guys who I'd really be pinning a huge amount of my hopes on in any sort of dynasty format. Let's get to questions. Greg... Now I'm going to, oh, I apologize because I'm going to uh, butcher this name. Greg Tetro. Tetro? Let me know if it's right, Greg. Will they ever find a go-to low-post scoring presence? I feel like Sully is a bad fit for Coach Stevens and he's gone this summer. Now let's, he's got a two-part question, so let's answer that one first. A low-post scoring presence? There's not many low-post scoring presence really in the NBA. A Linux can score, but not necessarily from the low post. Um, yeah, Sullinger Sullen, isn't a great fit for this team, but... I don't think they necessarily need a great low-post scoring presence. I think they need a Linux in there more, is what I think they need. Is Ainge overrated as a draft guy? James Young, Rogier over Portis, and uh, Fab Mallow over Draymond. Oh, the Draymond one, you can't you can't do that to anyone because you know, 34 picks went before Draymond, Draymond went. So every team was terrible with Draymond. Rogier over Portis. Um, yeah, look, it wasn't like Portis was good last season. Rogier wasn't good either. Um, he was good in the playoffs, but Portis wasn't good. I still think that Portis would have been a better pick at that point, but James Young looks terrible at this point. But look, Kelly Olynyk at pick 11, it looks pretty good to me. I think that he's a real solid player. I think Marcus Smart at pick six is pretty solid. So everyone has their hits and misses. I don't think we can really... I don't think many people have really said Ainge is a great draft guy. I think he's more lauded for his trading ability. No one's ever really said, oh, Ainge is the greatest draft, you know, draft pick guy in the world, but he's been great at trading, much like a Sam Hinkie. That's because the draft is very crapshooty. It's it's hard to nail every one of your picks. But some of those are questionable decisions. But Smart and Olenek, I think, have been really solid picks. Dean Johnny Faulkner says, With the huge amount of future assets they have, will they be top dog in the East in the next four to five years? Yeah, look, they need, they need this pick three to pan out. They need the next couple of Brooklyn picks to pan out. But I think that they've got a, as good a chance as anyone. Cleveland obviously won't be that in four to five years' time. There's no real other emerging powerhouses in the East. I think that they've got a, a real big chance to um, to do that, Dean. I think that that's, uh, that's, that's fair enough. Darren Perry rounds out our questions by saying, what is Sully's future? I think Sully's future is gone. I don't think he's a starting uh, power forward in this league. He, he might be. Maybe he... Would he start on Phoenix? Yeah, probably. But they might also draft Dragon Bender. He'd start on some teams. Wouldn't start on a, a huge amount, though. So I think that his, um, his future is a guy that plays 20 minutes a game and plays as a backup who can come in and be a rebounding presence and, and can score a bit, but, but struggles in too many areas of the game to be someone I think is going to have a, a great career moving forward. But he's, he's going to get another contract, obviously. He's going to stick in the league for another four, five, six years and, and be a guy, but more as a, as a bench player on a decent team or a starter on a really terrible team. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's back in Boston at this point. 
we are done for this podcast today, guys. Um, let me know what you think uh, on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball and subscribe on iTunes and anywhere where you get your podcasts. Give it a thumbs up on YouTube if you're watching there. Check out Basketball Monster and, of course, check out Fantrax, who are the sponsor of this podcast. You know about Fantrax by now, and you should because Fantrax has been a tremendous support to this show, and they are the best place to host your fantasy league. So check out Fantrax, the best free commissioner options in the business. They've also got paid premium commissioner options as well. They're rolling out some new stuff for baseball leagues now, monthly league so it's not daily leagues and it's not season long leagues but you draft a team and you play for a month I think it's a, a great concept so they're trialing that stuff out over on the side so check out Fantrax check out their Twitter account as well at Fantrax and you can see that they're you know, signing people up for these test leagues they can they host all the sports. You can do um, so much stuff with uh, dynasty leagues, real NBA player salaries, which is stuff you can't do on other on other sites. So forget having a spreadsheet. Forget having your notepads and all these extra notes. It, it's it's done. It's kept for you on Fantrax. Salary caps. Everything is done. You will not believe the amount of options that you have on Fantrax when you go and uh, sign up and check out what's over there. It is uh, really the, the best place to host a fantasy league, basketball or otherwise. We are done today, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Uh, At least I nailed that last dusting. Britain, when you run out of data, it hurts. So get on EE Pay As You Go. We're giving away free boosts of data for everyone. Every three months, you unlock a new level of data. First, we boost your data by 500 megabytes a month, then by a gig a month, then by a gig and a half. And it keeps going. So the longer you stay, the more data you'll have for Snapchatting. Search EE Free Boosts. Choose a free boost after you buy Pay As You Go packs for three months. Terms apply. See ee.co.uk slash payg.